This is the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm David Craner. It's never been easier to go from idea to digital design to physical product. The new hardware movement is radically changing the way that technology in the world around us is being conceived, built, and connected. This podcast brings you the new generation of hardware creators who work across the boundary between digital and physical. They're designers, engineers, scientists, artists, and business people. For more information on the new hardware movement and the resources you need to become a full-stack hardware creator, visit O'Reilly.com slash hardware. And if you'd like to send in a question for us to discuss on the show, email us at hardware at O'Reilly.com. So how was CES? Uh, CES was CESE. Have you ever been to CES, David? I've never been to CES. I've I've always kind of wanted to go to CES. <laughs> uh, have you ever been to a conference with like two hundred thousand people? Um, I haven't. I'm not sure if I've been to one that big, but I used to when I was in undergrad. I used to go and do this little mini internship with Sony at NAB, which is the National Association of Broadcasters convention. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that's it. That's also at the Las Vegas Convention Center, and is and is massive in scale so i'd 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 say um you know ces is useful for a very broad high level overview of where the entire industry is headed and it's a weird experience to see every single vendor there with the exception of apple um showing off what they're doing because you can start to see parallels uh you can start to see how there's a bit of groupthink. um you know everyone is trying to develop certain products that the public doesn't care about yet so yeah, it's funny because Apple seems to make a larger statement by not going than they would be able to if they actually went, I think. Oh, precisely, yeah. <laughs> because it's I think kind that... of the elephant in the room that everyone's like wondering about. Right, right. And um, I mean, a lot of the, the electronics manufacturers out there are clearly just kind of thinking with terror about what the next thing to come out of Apple might be and trying to anticipate it and then putting out a whole bunch of products that represent possibilities for what Apple might be developing. More smartwatches. Yeah. More smartwatches. Exactly. <laughs> Flying um, smartwatches. Drone drone smartwatches that, that follow you around and show you the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Drone smartwatches with Bluetooth connectivity and uh, smart home control. But no uh, but no headphone jack. Only lightning nope. connectors. Exactly. Everything's gonna happen with weird proprietary <laughs> connectors. So um that, so yeah, so you know, what what'd you what'd you get into? Right. So so the first observation is that uh, you can see the new hardware movement taking place in the products that come out. Um, the, you can see the fast development cycles happening right in front of you. Two companies in particular, DJI and GoPro, have essentially defined the design and functionality languages in their respective fields, and now everyone is just ripping them off. So uh, the DJI drone, their kind of mainline mass market drone, identical versions of that exist in in each of a few dozen booths from companies that you've never heard of that are right next to the big DJI booth. And yeah. the same with the same with uh, with GoPro. That GoPro, you know, armored camera is present in also dozens of booths. Uh, everyone from Nikon down to uh, nameless companies from Shenzhen that have developed, uh, you know, identical ones. So it's interesting to see that because it doesn't it doesn't actually sound like a very impressive or, or interesting business model to take a product that someone else has already developed and, and marketed and just create a slightly cheaper and, and less reliable version of it. But that is a, a compelling business uh, model in China. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I was reading over the holidays, I was reading a lot about these, uh, the hoverboards or whatever they call them, the, the nameless 
actually there is no official name for them really but you know you know the the nameless and right, eponymous right. two-wheeled self-balancing scooters yeah and there were a lot of good articles that were coming out um, I guess we can put a link in the in the episode notes about it about the ecosystem and the economics of all these these factory owners in China who latch on to a new trend and retool yeah. their entire factory to push out as many units of whatever the current um, the current fad in consumer electronics is yeah, exactly. And, and um, oh, and by the way, I just want to put this on the record now. David and I were in Shenzhen together around uh, the end of 2014. And David was musing about how he should he should start a hoverboard importing business, because everyone yeah. in Shenzhen <laughs> was already riding around on these things. And uh, well, didn't didn't quite get around to it. Well, but, it's because uh, I was talking clearly to some you were people right. and I couldn't I couldn't get them to give me the certifications like, you know, you need a underwriters lab certification, FCC certification. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and one of the companies I was talking to, like, sent me a certificate that, like, has a different company's name on it. And we're just like, here you go. And I was like, no. And they're like, well, no one asked us for this and you don't need them. Um, and then I was like, no, that's okay. But then, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the whole hoverboard industry in the past couple of months, but there's been a massive bottom falling out of it because the uh, they sold lots and lots of them over the holiday season. But the 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 poorly made ones have started like setting people's houses on fire from like the right, battery chargers right, right. and everything. And, and Amazon has like yanked all of them and mm. well, many of them. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting because it is, it feels like the first uh, electronics fad that has come straight from the copycat electronics factories in Shenzhen. There wasn't a period at the beginning where, you know, a, a famous U S company was uh was making and marketing these and then they got ripped off it just it it originated over there with the exception of some u.s companies like one wheel which incidentally uh conducted a a police raid on on some of their uh competitors at ces oh really yeah there was a great uh article about this that i'll post when we rode that when they had the very first version of that at solid a couple years ago yeah yeah. i remember we were like riding it around and that yeah i I did not see, I was not imagining police raid being used in the same sentence with one wheel, but yeah, sorry, finish yep. the story. No, they uh, they they called in the marshals on uh, one of their Chinese competitors at CES and the and the competitor's booth was raided. So, that, but it's it's interesting, um, you know, one wheel is a, a premium, uh, you know, transport sort of device and it costs a lot more than the hoverboards that are coming out of Shenzhen. But what's unusual about it is that it's not like one wheel you know, established this type of product and then got ripped off and, and um, you know, swamped by imports. I mean, most people never saw one of these hoverboards until they saw a cheap import from Shenzhen. Yeah. yeah I, and true. I bet we'll see more of those as the, as the Chinese electronics industry develops. There's no reason that Chinese companies can't, you know, develop innovative new products that people haven't seen before. Yeah. So maybe this is the first the first uh, you know wave in in something that we'll see much more of. Yeah, well I mean I think that it's a function of all that manufacturing capability being kind of located in the same geographic location over there. And right. uh, you know all these things are made of the same thing, you know there's like a there's a radio, there's a motor, there's a battery, there's some kind of enclosure. And so when you have factories that are all in the same neighborhood that all deal in these same parts, you know the end product that comes out is just kind of like a, you know, it's, it's like Taco Bell. Right, right. You know, Taco right, Bell has, exactly. what, like 50 things on the menu, but they're all made from the same four basic ingredients. And I mean... <laughs> and they come out of hoses. Yeah, and they come out of hoses. <laughs> and, but I mean, like, hardware, especially commoditized hardware that uses commoditized components like that over in Shenzhen feels feels very much like that. You know, it's, you know, you can reconfigure. I mean, do you want the, the crunchy 
the Crunchwrap Supreme or do you want like a mm-hmm, normal mm-hmm. soft taco or do you want like something else? I mean, it's just like once you have the, the line set up, it's not that much. It's not that much to like change how you're putting the pieces together. Right. And conversely, it's hard to uh, to do that kind of innovation if you don't have insight into how the manufacturing processes work and how the lines work and, you know, what the modules are that are available for for reconfiguration. Yeah. And the other thing is that all these companies, you know, have been doing all the manufacturing for for the West for a really long time. And so we're starting to understand like what Western sensibilities and tastes and, and design tropes and things like that are. Right, um, right. And, you know, are, are starting, people are starting to actually like launch their own brands um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. instead of instead of just trying to, to work for a well-known brand already. So it's, it's right. kind of like they're the ones who've been making it the entire time. I and mean, it's like they, they, the, the means of production are controlled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, Xiaomi has, uh, has created an incredible line of mobile phones by realizing that it's not just the assembly. It's also the, you know, the design features and the marketing that have also incidentally been passing through these factories. Yeah. So were there lots of people riding around on hoverboards? Uh, hover, hoverboards were prohibited in the halls, ah. except if you were exhibiting them. So there weren't lots of people on them, but uh, there were lots in the halls um, being shown and n- not a lot of sign that the bottom had fallen out of it. Um, you should get a you should get a hoverboarding is not a crime T-shirt, you know, scraggly T-shirt. <laughs> um, you should actually. I, <laughs> yeah. I've, I'm too fearful to ride a hoverboard. Yes. David has a hoverboard that he rides around Cambridge. Um, and it well, has, mine, uh, mine's an electric unicycle. Mine's way cooler because it only has one wheel. Oh, okay. For some yeah. for some values of cool, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, other things that struck me, um, DJI and and GoPro established this design language that uh, that has just absolutely become standard in their respective fields, and that's been really interesting to see because you can you can see this kind of um, rapid hardware process taking place. Are the are the GoPro camera knockoffs? Are they like compatible with all the different GoPro accessories, like the like the waterproof cases and like the mounting gimbals on drones and everything like that? That's a good question. I actually don't know. I I bet that many of them are because that that part of it isn't uh, isn't that difficult to to figure out. Yeah. Well, because what I thought was interesting about the the whole drone thing is, I feel like a few years ago you would ex- you would have expected for a new piece of consumer tech to have a, a built in camera, yeah. right? And now they now many of the drones, you know, I mean the the 3D robotics um, ones do in addition to the DJI ones have like they say, you know, we have a mount for a GoPro. Right, right, right. You and know, they're just like, yeah, bring, they're, they're bring leaving your own that GoPro. The... It's like it's like um, you know, it assumes that it's that the camera's modularized and that you're going to want to swap out which one that you want. Right, right, right. Speaking of DJI, they have an interesting product. Um, they're they're kind of moving moving beyond just the drones and they're marketing their uh, kind of steady cam mechanisms as standalone devices oh is this you saw is this the selfie stick thing uh it's not quite a selfie stick it's more like it looks like a handheld um kind of uh pistol trigger and and a camera sits on top of it and it's yeah it's you start to move it and there's an electric sensor and actuator in it's it it's got a, sta- a stabilizer it take, on it. yeah it it'll it'll follow your hand slightly after your hand and and you know smoother and uh, they so so there's a small one that's about six hundred fifty bucks, and then there's a really big sort of Steadicam type of thing uh, made of aluminum and carbon fiber that's fourteen hundred dollars. That's pretty cool, and that's yeah, definitely so that, using tech that they developed for stabilizing drone gimbals, and then realized it could be useful. Absolutely, back in handheld camera shooting. So you can see how a lot of this stuff is going to just you know they're they're not just in the drone business anymore; they're in like the motion control business. And yeah. Wow, there are a lot of opportunities in that business if you figure out some fundamental technologies for 
you know, controlling motion, making it smooth, corresponding with communicating with uh, motion controllers. So it, perhaps a peek into what some of these drone makers might be able to do. Yeah. So um, a lot of the big the big companies were were interesting only at kind of a high level. You know, the giant booths that the big tech companies set up are are boring in in many ways. But uh, so Intel brought in a bunch of companies that they've both acquired and that are using their embedded processors. One of the interesting ones was a something called Recon Smart Eyewear. And this is almost like Google Glass, but it's like ski goggles. The sort of eyewear that people use when they uh, do really hardcore competitive sports. And it I struck see. me that... I'm looking you know, it up. Recon Jet, smart eyewear for active lifestyles. There you go. Well, I don't. I have an inactive lifestyle, so this yeah. is why I hadn't seen it before. Um, you know, one of the problems with Google Glass was that they were just uh, incredibly dorky, and the screen in front of your eyes was a really distracting thing to people you're talking to. Yeah. Those aren't huge problems if you're like a, a crazy, you know, competitive snowboarder, and you're already wearing weird dorky eyewear, and you're not talking to anyone at a, yeah. at a restaurant or something. So this kind of, it, it weaves in a little bit of, uh, you know, the GoPro mentality, like record what you're doing and it, and it uh, connects to other devices and gives you feedback on your performance and so on. So just as an observation that like that, that type of wearable computing, the smart eyeglasses went way over the top of the hype curve a long time ago, and maybe it's starting to climb back up the other side. And then Samsung, uh, man, Samsung is, is putting everything out there. They're doing connected refrigerators naturally. Naturally, and and this is a this is a mystery to me because there is no more reviled connected device than the connected refrigerator. Yeah, yeah, and and, and it's just it's odd that it's it's everyone's first connected home you know product that they want to that they want to show to people. Well, it's because everyone wants to have an no answer to the it. question of what would happen if your refrigerator could talk to the internet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's who posed that in the first place, and why is that the canonical connected home question? Yeah. I don't know. So what, what are the features of the Samsung connected refrigerator? Uh, so they basically run Android. Uh, they won't say that it's Android. The people in the booth kind of dissemble. But uh, it, it's basically a big screen on the door of the fridge. And in the morning, it shows you something called a morning brief, which is like, here's, here's the top news stories. And here's, you know, the traffic on your way to work today, which strikes me as totally unnecessary <laughs> because um, that's exactly what Google now does, which is already in your Android phone. And uh, in any case, you know, traffic on your way to work is already available um, very straightforwardly, again, from your phone, where it's probably more useful because you have your phone with you in your car. So it just it struck me as a strange thing. And, and did it have like refrigerator specific functionality, like the ability to order things or not that I could tell, perhaps that that may be a later function. But if it is a later function, why announce this now? Because it's really strange. Yeah, <laughs> it could be that they that they you know each of these electronics companies doesn't want to be caught as the one that doesn't have a smart refrigerator when everyone else comes out with one. So they all fall over themselves to release kind of uh, unpromising smart refrigerators just so that they'll have one. But maybe they're working on something much more interesting that'll come out in a couple of years. You know, there, you know, there used to be a research group at the Media Lab uh, call uh, dedicated to building smart kitchen technology. Do you mm -hmm. know what it was called? It was called no. the Counterintelligence Group. Uh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I've always wondered if one of those ones were the name, where it was the name that preceded the. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's um the the smart refrigerator is basically it's a chumby 
but attached to the front of the fridge instead of living on your countertop. Yeah. And and I guess, you know, you can kind of imagine the type of conversation that designers have that lead to these kinds of things where, where they're like, all right, you know, we basically need an iPad that is uh, that lives in the kitchen always and shows you kitchen relevant stuff when you walk in so that you're not like fishing for your mobile device. You know, in the same way that people have realized that interfaces other than the mobile phone make sense for a lot of connected things. You don't want to get your phone out to turn on your lights. So you right. want like a voice interface so you can say turn on the lights or you want a, a switch on the wall that connects to your connected lights. So people are saying, all right, we want something context aware that's a screen that's always in the kitchen and and it lives there and you know where it is and, and it interacts with you. Um, and hey, look, there's all of this wasted vertical flat space on the front of your fridge and everyone in the family uses the fridge. So, you know, this is where we're going to put this thing. Um, but I was walking around with a friend of mine who does uh, sustainability for, for big corporations, and he pointed out that the life cycle of a refrigerator is usually 10 to 20 years, and the life cycle of an Android device is like, you know, up four to uh, five years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As low, as low as four months and as, and as high as five years at most. So what's going to happen, you know, no one had an answer to his question of whether, uh, you know, these these appliances with screens on them could be retrofitted when the uh, electronics go bad before the appliance goes bad. And perhaps yeah. it'll lead to a lot of waste. As, as a side note, I wish that for, for home automation purposes, I, I think it's a, a brilliant idea. Google and Apple, you guys can have this one for free. I want the, the ability to rename Google Now and or Siri to just just be named like computer or something like that. So I can be sitting on my couch and shout like, <laughs> computer, turn on the yeah. living room lights. That's like way more fun than OK Google. Right, right. I have a, an Amazon Echo and um, it responds to either Alexa or Amazon. And, yeah. and at the moment, I have it set to respond to Alexa. But I've thought about switching it to respond to Amazon just to remind myself that every time I speak to it, I'm speaking directly into the world's most sophisticated marketing engine. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable thing to keep in mind when you're, when you're corresponding with it. Exactly. The other thing that Samsung was flogging was a, uh, a, a Roomba competitor called the PowerBot. Plus, of course, you know, Samsung Gear VR and uh you can experience which, experience sweeping the living room from the perspective of your robot yeah exactly that this is yeah they should have done like an integrated samsung house concept where where <laughs> you're where you're guiding your your roomba from your samsung gear the gear vr by the way was everywhere i mean every single exhibitor had something that ran with vr and it was invariably the gear vr headset that was in uh, in their illustration which yeah, totally pretty... makes sense it's a pretty cool thing. I got to try it for the first time over um, Christmas break. I was in a in a in a Best Buy, and yeah, it works. Yeah. Although I haven't I haven't tried any of the Oculus things, so I don't know what the trade off is in just using a a mobile phone display that plugs into the thing. Oculus is great, but you know the trade off is not that significant, and I think it totally makes sense. I've I've always loved Google Cardboard for illustrating this fundamental truth that all it takes to build a pretty compelling VR headset are a couple of lenses to magnify, you know, your phone screen and some cardboard to hold them the right distance away from your phone. And then everything else happens in software. Yep. Um, so it's it's a great illustration of that. And uh, uh, it looks to me like, you know, Samsung Gear VR is the is the headset to watch. Uh, was there any other VR stuff there? Uh, well, uh, Oculus was there. They were a huge deal. Uh, there were a lot of kind of drones plus VR, naturally. <laughs> this is, yeah. you, could, you could take all of these, you know, hot, 
concepts and like draw lines between them. And on each of those lines, someone was like working on something. So drones plus smartwatches, drones plus VR, smartwatches plus VR, quantified self plus VR. Speaking of drones, the FAA was there. You know, the registration deadline for drones is coming up in a couple of months. Oh, really? I read that they were putting. Uh, I read that they were putting rules into effect, which require what are the what are the actual requirements for it? You have to register your hobbyist drone with the FAA. It's free for the time being. Um, after that, it'll there'll be a modest fee, and that's the that's going to be the requirement for operating these things commercially, eventually, or or even just as a hobbyist. Speaking of government agencies, uh, NASA was there, and do you know what their tagline is? I give up. NASA. No, that's colon. not their give. Up. That's not the tagline that I was guessing. I mean, I give up on my guessing. <laughs> uh, NASA colon We're out there. Nice. Uh, so there were, you know, w- one of the things that's always interesting to watch is the the companies that you don't necessarily expect to show up at an electronics trade show, uh, and and see how they're associating themselves with this industry. So. Uh, MasterCard, for instance, uh, big presence. Their their tagline is "Commerce for Every Device." Um, you know, they're they're demonstrating things like electronic payments on smart washing machines, uh, electronic payments on embedded systems. Same with United Health. They uh, they were the only booth that thought to provide hand disinfectant for everyone between <laughs> demoing their electronics. Which only I went to their booth at the end of the day because they had massage chairs, and uh, it, it was only then that I realized that in fact I had been pressing the same pair of VR goggles as thousands of other people onto my face uh, all day long. And thank you, United Health, for providing hand sanitizer. Yes, <laughs> there were uh, you know as you know a lot of 3D printers, in particular uh, you know Formlabs was there. Your old friends. Oh yes. Um, I think you know, 3D printing is definitely headed down the the down curve on the hype cycle, though it seems to be headed up the next curve um, pretty quickly. I I guess I guess you never know if you're at the <clears throat> if you're at the bottom of the the trough of disillusionment until you've risen past it. Um, right. But it feels like I mean, it feels like 3D printing got really exciting when like MakerBot came out, and then when Formlabs came out, and then when the whole MakerBot thing fell apart it felt like that initial wave was deep in the trough of disillusionment and mm-hmm. then they got acquired and then like it's kind of starting to to come out um but then we've got that uh the the carbon 3d investment that happened last year um mm-hmm. from google ventures the like really fast stereolithography printing um and so it seems like the area is getting hot again um but and, also and that some electronics was... printing too do you know much oh, about electronics with, uh, printing? Vo- voxel 8 is that what they're mm-hmm. called yeah that sounds pretty interesting i haven't gotten a chance to use one of their machines, um, but I like the idea because it, you know, you can design a two-layer board on, you know, your computer using Eagle or something, and then it uses extruders to pattern down conductive as well as non-conductive material. So, so you can design hmm. like a two-layer board, and it'll automatically oh, put little jump overs on the traces, so you don't have to drill through holes. It'll just like it'll draw the trace, and then it'll like draw some non-conductive material on top of it, and then it'll draw another conducting trace like jumping across it, so you can just import a, a two-layer huh. file, which is cool. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I think that's that's an entirely new you know area of interest for 3D printing. Not, not new in the sense of the technology, which has been around for some time, but new in the sense of it coming to desktops. Well, I think it's cool because, I mean, it's the same... It's a similar thing with, uh, you know, like we were talking about with the hoverboards, where it's kind of like the same parts being put together in different ways. I mean, all these 3D printers are like some kind of precision XYZ thing 
with like whether it's stepper motors or stepper motors and uh, extruders or stepper motors and like galvos or whatever. Um, but there's like this whole ecosystem of all these different variations on machines that are using the same kind of hardware, but are mm -hmm. being you know coerced into doing very different things as a result of their software. I mean, like some of the early RepRaps, which were designed to be FDM machines, which are 3D printers, you know, mm -hmm. were very easily co-opted into spinning off for synthetic biologists who wanted to make automatic pipetting machines. Right. You or know, mills. yeah, and and also and also desktop um, uh, subtractive manufacturing mills as well. Um, and it's like very similar. I mean, a lot of them run on G code. A lot of them run on on really old school machining paradigms, but. The software is really what's 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 making the difference in the in functionality, right? I right. mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but I mean, I I think the listeners understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, this this seems to be a recurring theme. Uh, the software is important. The software is where the magic happens. Same way that Google Cardboard is is uh, awfully simple hardware and some pretty significant software. Along those lines, you know, there are also a lot of things that are going into completely new processes, things that haven't been made intelligent before, where you're taking the same kinds of controllers and actuators that exist elsewhere and, and repurposing them. So the Pico Brewery, for instance, this is a desktop intelligent beer brewing machine. It's been very successful on Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, what you have here is like a same, same thing that you would find in an immersion circulator, you know, for sous vide cooking. Uh, it's a set of electronics. They're connected. They store programs for raising and lowering the temperature of a thing, and uh, and they execute it. And someone thought to uh, to you know take this kind of software intelligence and sensors and actuators plus uh, rapid manufacturing and apply them to beer brewing where they hadn't been used before. And and I had some of their beer. It was delicious. It was good beer. It was good beer. I would have one of these if it weren't very expensive. There was another uh, you know in terms of uh, a completely new technology. New, new things that aren't yet electronic in the home. Uh, someone was demonstrating a laundry folding robot. And there was a lot of smoke and mirrors in this demo. The thing that they had, they would not open it up to show anyone how it works. They would not describe the, the technology that, you know, figures out what kind of clothes it's folding and then, and then folds it. So take this with that, uh, that caveat. It's called Laundroid. The thinking is that some version of it would launch in 2017. It looks like a big cabinet. You dump your laundry in the bottom, and then you come back several hours later, and it's folded the laundry and put it on shelves. Um, the pricing, you know, perhaps the price of, uh, of a premium washer and dryer together is what they said. So think like $2,000. So, so what you're saying, so what you're saying is that they just mail someone to you inside of a black box, and you and you put your laundry in and then you leave your house and then come back and it's all been it's all been folded and distributed it's like a yeah like that's a, pretty much it yeah it's like it's like the the original mechanical turk you know exactly. the, the chess the chess playing robot was a guy sitting under a table it's interesting another trend that i'm starting to see come out is the whole long tail thing because as all the hardware is getting modularized um people are starting to use the same basic sets of modules to accomplish very niche tasks you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like a desktop, a desktop homebrewing system a few years ago, the idea of that would be completely laughable because the right. cost in getting a homebrewing system set up and acquiring the knowledge and learning how to do everything and everything, like just does not make sense to make a gallon or two or however much this thing makes of beer on your kitchen counter, right? Like if you're going to invest right. that kind of thing, you might as well do a huge operation and it's out of range of, of most normal people. Um, but, but now because we're getting all these sensors and we're getting all these controllers and all these 
you know, temperature sensors and, and mechanisms and everything. And it's easier for designers to reconfigure them to accomplish different different functions. You know, it's it's like the, the trends yeah. in software where, you know, going back to the hardware software metaphor again, because it's our favorite one, you know, where like, <laughs> right, right. There, there's an app for that because like the cost is very low in reconfiguring, you know, similar buttons, functionalities, algorithms, and connectivity into making a new tool that, that accomplishes a new purpose. And, and it's, it's exciting to see that happening in hardware for really esoteric and, and longer tail uses. Right. I, I mean, I think, you know, we're about to see a real flowering here. It's so easy to go out and create something uh, that, that just involves sensors and actuators and connectivity. All the modules are there. The manufacturing has gotten a lot more straightforward with, of course, the condition that, you know, hardware is not easy, but it's gotten much easier. And, and a lot of that is those is those modules. But yeah, it's it, you, you can kind of like it, it, it really feels like an open field right now. Anyone who's into any area that hasn't yet been colonized by electronics can kind of look around and say, well, what would I like an intelligent piece of electronics to do for me? Uh, you know, stir this thing, heat this thing to this temperature, photograph this thing from from far away show me this information while I'm doing this thing. And then you, you kind of mix and match. Yeah. Hmm. So we're, so we're, we're approaching the end of the podcast. Um, what would you say was the craziest thing that you saw at CES this year? There was some really interesting stuff in, um, in the security area. Security. Which, yeah. Uh, so not, not security like smart locks, but security like uh, digital security. There were a few, um, a few booths selling Faraday cage pockets. You put your uh, put your phones and, and other devices in them so that you don't get uh, your Mac addresses scraped. Um, it also, of course, means that you won't get phone calls. But, you know, maybe if you're that kind of person, you, you can you don't protect the RFIDs and your credit cards and passports and stuff with those, too. Yeah. And that, that's probably a, a, you know, a more useful, like limited application for it. Yeah. There were some VPNs with booths. One of them had uh, a whole bunch of actors, dancers wearing uh those green screen suits, just kind of like doing acrobatics uh, in the aisle in front of the booth. Finally, one of the, you know, crazy in a high level sense things that that I saw was uh, the buzz around Sphero, which is, you know, that that little connected droid robot that you drive around with your phone. And it's a toy. And, and a lot of people have developed little toys like this. Some of them have, have done better than others, but generally they haven't, you know, been huge. And then Disney found Sphero at Techstars and turned it into a sensational Star Wars um, sort of action toy. Yeah, they 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 made a miniature version of of BB-8 from the the new Star Wars movie. And yeah, and you the, can the control story... it with a wristband too, so it almost oh, feels got a like you've that's got cool. the Force. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, oh, man, I can imagine that being super fun. Well, apparently, like they, uh, it's a pretty inspirational story. I was reading a bunch of articles about it. Um, you know, Sphero's been around for a few years. They made that. They made a little ball robot that's literally just a ball that drives around and is controlled by your smartphone and they were at some kind of like hardware accelerator or something hosted by disney that's like a several month program and playing you know hacking on their little ball robot and uh bob Iger like comes in to check it out and meet everybody and they show him their little ball robot thing and he's like oh that's really cool you should come over here and show, pulls out his phone and shows them a couple photos from the set of Star Wars, which is like the most top secret thing mm -hmm. ever at the time, and points mm -hmm. out the BB-8 robot and is like, oh, can you make it look like that with the, <laughs> with the ball that rolls in the, and a head that stays on top of it? And they're like, oh, actually, uh -huh. we've like already done that because a few months ago, we were just like messing around in our office and one guy had an idea that it'd be funny to like 
put a wig on the ball robot so it like rolls around with a wig. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and so they basically figured out how to do it already. It was like, okay, great. Like you have a few months. Um, you are now in charge of making the official BB-8 toy. Go. Yeah, and you will be you'll be the end cap uh, display at every single big box retailer for the entire holiday shopping season of 2015. Yeah. Man, you want to talk about agile agile hardware? Yeah, that's incredible. It's pretty funny, we- like because I mean I knew a few people who had the original Sphero, and it was kind of cool. Um, but it didn't just like completely capture your your heart and imagination like the little baby BB-8 one does. Right, um, right. I got one, and it's like it's super nice. It's like a real small character and it, it really goes to show that like our i think anyway is that our products are more you know on, on the inside it's the same pretty much as the original sphero rolling ball but the bb8 right. version is way more personable and, and enjoyable to play with and i think it goes to show that even though so many of our consumer electronics that we have are made of the same components and to an extent some of the same software mm-hmm. like you know the design intent and the and the and the personality and the characteristics of like how you connect with things on an emotional level are also extremely important in 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 mm-hmm, making mm-hmm. consumer electronics. Yeah, I mean these these things that are, you know, essentially toys need a story behind them and something that motivates people to to interact with them and this is something that had really interesting technology and then you you um affix a really compelling story to it and you come out with a great product. Yeah. I would like to see it wearing a wig though. Me too. I was thinking about you could probably just make one and put a little magnet in it. It's just it's just connected by a magnet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, um, if you're if you're interested in links to all of this stuff, we'll um, we'll put them up on the on the in the show notes. You can find the show notes by going to o'reilly.com/hardware and um, share your thoughts with us too. Write to us at hardware at o'reilly.com and uh, let us know what you think. If you saw anything interesting at CES, uh, we'll we'll talk about that on the next episode. Thanks, David. Thanks, John. Good to talk to you. For links and other information related to this week's episode, visit O'Reilly.com slash hardware and send your questions and comments to hardware at O'Reilly.com. If you enjoyed the program, make sure you've subscribed on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting platform. And if you really enjoyed it, consider leaving us a review. Until next time, I'm David Crane. And I'm John Bruner. <laughs>